You guys, Steve, last week, for those of you guys that were here, he did an awesome job of going through and examining basically what went into the starting of the project of rebuilding the wall. So two weeks ago, we kind of examined the call of Nehemiah and him getting there and how Artaxerxes sent him with all these letters and basically a lot of privilege and all these things that came and were associated with him going. And then last week, Steve looked at, like, what did it look like when he started the wall? And we looked at the fact that Nehemiah just didn't just jump into the wall, right? Here's this Nehemiah guy who's a cupbearer. What did he, what was he good at? What was his skill set? Eating and drinking and not falling over dead. Good for you, buddy. No, we know that he had more skills than that, right? We talked about that last week. He was also kind of like the chief of staff over the entire palace. So it's like he was definitely a capable guy, but it doesn't mean he knew everything. Does anybody here know everything? Good. Oh, Maya, you little liar. He raised his hand. None of us know everything, right? So what did Nehemiah do? He went out and examined the damage. He assessed what was going to be required to do the task, but then also... He recognized his own areas of weakness. The places that he's like, I can't rebuild a wall. I can't do that. What's this going to look like, Lord? What do you, what do you, how's this going to work? We read in chapter 3 then that Nehemiah didn't do what many, many leaders and what many of us do, right? Americans especially, right? What do we always say? Like, we're going to pull ourselves up by our own bootstraps, right? We always say that. Do we? No. We pull ourselves up by our parents' inheritance, we pull ourselves up by our friends helping us move into that house, right? Like we, we're never really doing it on our own. Maybe a little, but not most of the time. 99.9% of the time, right? But we like to say we did. Well, Nehemiah didn't even try to do that. He didn't tackle the wall by himself. He asked each person to go and build a section, right? He, he called on the people and said, man, just go build a section. Build the section. And so they worked together to accomplish something that one person could never do. And we read about all these many people that got busy. And, and uh, Steve didn't put you through all of, the, all of the stuff that I tend to do and be like, yeah, okay. And now at the, you know, you know, I don't know, Dora the Explorer and that person did this and, you know, whatever. You guys, church, we need to hear this. Before we s- jump into chapter four, we need to hear something. This holds true for us. No one person in our church can do everything. It's not possible. And the fact is, you guys, no one person is gifted to do everything. We all have weaknesses, don't we? And the fact is, is that 20% of the people doing 100% of the work, you guys have heard that before, that is not going to accomplish the goals that God's laid forth for a church. And I'm talking, yes, specifically about our church, So I got to say this to you guys, and we need to hear this. Each of you here are gifted by God to be used in his kingdom. And this building that we call the church, but really isn't the church, it's just the building that we tend to meet in because we are the church. This building is a safe place for you to come in and practice. This is like the practice field for the football team. This is the safe place right, where they're not going to hammer you into the ground, where the, the, the cornerback isn't looking to literally rip your head off when you go to catch a pass. This is the place that you can come and find out what God's gifted you in and serve. So that what? So that when you go out into the world where it is dangerous, when you're out on the real football field of life, out in the world, then you get to say, man, I know God's gifted me here, and Lord, if you want to use me in that way out there, then do it. And it might be com- 
have conflict involved. It might have a lot of different things involved, but it doesn't change the fact that God's gifted you to do it. But you learn here. And guys, I think we do, you do yourself a disservice, but I would say more importantly, you do the church a disservice when you're not willing to serve in some capacity. And so I need to say this. If you're here today and man, you're like, dude, I just, this is my first time to visit, man. I don't even, what the heck? The, the pastor's hammering on me because I'm not doing anything yet. Rest. I'm not asking everybody to just jump in right away. But when you're resting, rest with the idea that at some point your goal is to get in the game, right? You're not meant to be on the bench forever. I lost half the people already. They're like, mm, I don't even want to hear this. <laughs> you guys, tonight we're going to be digging through chapter four. We're going to be examining kind of what happens when God's people start to take ground for his kingdom. And we're going to see something very clearly that when we begin to serve the Lord, when we begin to walk out obedience to the Lord, when we begin to see ground taken, that God's like, ah, you got this. Things are working. Things are happening. You guys, opposition will come. Are you encouraged yet? Isn't that awesome? Yes. You're going to get pummeled into the ground. Good night. You guys, we're going to not just see that opposition should be expected. We're going to finally see what our response should be. What's the response to that opposition? So let's begin reading. Verse 1 of chapter 4 says this. But it so happened when Sambalot heard that we were rebuilding the wall, that he was furious and very indignant and mocked the Jews. And he spoke before his brethren and the army of Samaria and said, what are these feeble Jews doing? Will they fortify themselves? Will they offer sacrifices? Will they complete it in a day? Will they revive the stones from the heap of rubbish, stones that are burned? Now Tobo Tobiah the Ammonite was beside him and said, whatever they build, if even a fox goes up on it, he will break down their stone wall. And I can imagine him being like, ah, <laughs> right? So these freaks, Sambalot and Tobiah, man, they just can't leave these Jews alone, dude. They're such freaks. They're like so focused on their downfall. Do you guys remember the first time we saw about them? Flip over with me. Nehemiah chapter two. One page back for me, right? Nehemiah chapter two, verse 10. This is our first mention of Sambalot and Tobiah. And we see this right as Nehemiah arrives. Right as, as he's coming in to Jerusalem, we read in chapter 2, verse 10, it says, When Sambalot the Horonite and Tobiah the Ammonite official heard of it, they were deeply disturbed that a man had come to seek the well-being of the children of Israel. You mean you come to do something nice? I hate you! It's ridiculous. Flip over with me now to chapter 2, verse 19. This is our second mention. Chapter 2, verse 19, it says, But when Sambalot the Horonite, Tobiah the Ammonite official, and Geshem the Arab heard of it, they laughed at us and despised us and said, What is this thing that you are doing? Will you rebel against the king? But then we see Nehemiah's answer. So I answered them and said to them, The God of heaven himself will prosper us. Therefore his servants will arise and build. But you have no heritage or right or memorial in Jerusalem. So you guys, we see that they've gone, this, these two characters, Sambalot and Tobiah, have gone from being deeply disturbed that Nehemiah arrived to do good for the people of Israel to laughing and despising them as they begin the work 
And now what we read here is now they're furious and very indignant when the work's being done. You guys, when people don't like what you're doing for the Lord, they will let you know, won't they? Dude, like I have family members that I love dearly, but they're like, all you ever do is go to church. That's all you do. And I'm like, that was before I was a pastor. Now I would at least be like, well, yeah, I kind of got to be here. (laughs) But before then, I was at church all the time, right? This is just, I love being with God's people, right? And so I was here for pretty much everything. And any church I've gone to, that's just our family way. We are in church, right? There's no judgment on anyone else. I'm just saying that's our way. And my family would always be like, why are you always there? It's so weird. Oh, I don't like it. When we're home and visiting my family now, most of the time we go find, there's a Calvary Chapel in Camp Hill, Pennsylvania. We go there on a Wednesday night. We're getting to know those people. That's our way. That's what we do, right? And so they judge that. They don't like it. And I'll tell you this, For most people, if you ignore them and keep going the way that God has for you to go many times, it will become more fueled by anger. There'll be more hatred in its expression. Do you guys see that? I've lost friends, you guys, that by the end of our friendship, they were screaming at me into the phone because they just couldn't fathom the fact that I wasn't who I used to be, that God got a hold of my heart, that God changed my life. And so we're not friends anymore. They won't talk to me. You guys, that's the way it goes. This ridicule that they're kind of pouring out that we just read about here in chapter four kind of makes me think of this kid's expression. You guys remember this? Sticks and stones may break my bones, but words can never hurt me, right? Or names can never hurt me technically, but it was about words, right? Well, cover your ears for a second. We find out that through our lives, that's not 100% accurate, is it? Words hurt. Words hurt. We're like, sticks and stones may break my bones, and these kind of want to, they hurt too. I don't like them, (laughs) right? Like, they hurt. The reality is, you guys, yeah, you don't really have to cover your ears. I was just kidding with you. (laughs) You guys, words hurt. I found this quote from Shakespeare that I thought was really cool. Shakespeare in the play, Much Ado About Nothing, because I found the quote, but then I was like, where did that come from, and what was the full quote, and blah, blah, blah. So I looked it up. Much Ado About Nothing This is what he calls ridicule, paper bullets of the brain. Paper bullets of the brain. And the fact is, there's no doubt that these paper bullets have done a lot of damage to a lot of people over the years, haven't they? They're paper bullets. They can't really hurt you, but they do. They damage you. They hurt. So let's look at Sambalot's ridicule here. These feeble Jews. That's what he starts off with. These feeble Jews. These, you know, incapable unbelievably, ridiculously not, you know, so far above their head Jews. These Jews that are like trying to accomplish something that is just not possible to do. And then he says, will they fortify themselves? It's almost like, you know, in, in the South, whenever you hear bless, you, bless their little heart, bless your heart. What does that mean? That's a ridicule. That's a paper bullet. <laughs> that doesn't mean like, oh, you're pouring a blessing out of me. Thank you. No, that's like, oh, bless you heart. You're a little idiot. You know, that's pretty much what they're saying. He says, will they fortify themselves? Will they be able to build this wall? No. Will they offer sacrifices? What's he saying? Look, they are, the temple's already being done, right? Like they're already offering sacrifices. So what does he mean by this question? Do they think that they're going to fortify these walls so that they can go in there and serve their God and do whatever they want to do? Like, do they actually think that's going to be accomplished? Obviously, the answer for them is no. Will they complete it in a day? Will they be even able to get this done? No. Will they revive the stones from these heaps? No. That's the answer to all these things. And then not to be outdone, 
Tobiah, who is like the, 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 the idiot Robin to Sambalot's Batman, right? He's like the, the really crappy sidekick is there, and he's like, oh yeah, let me, let me jump in. Like, even if a little dainty fox jumps on this wall that they're rebuilt, oh, but Sambalot just said they weren't going to rebuild the wall, so already you're a dummy that you're making this insult, right? But it's like, even if a fox jumps on their rebuilt wall, it's going to top it over. Oh, those incompetent idiots, right? That's kind of what they're saying. David Guzik said this about this idea of discouragement and stuff. He said, discouragement is such a powerful weapon because it comes too close to the opposite of faith. Where faith believes God and his love and his promises, discouragement looks for and believes the worst and tends, notice it says, and tends to almost forget about who God is and who he has promised to, and what he has promised to do. Take that quote in for a second. Doesn't that, that's a good definition of discouragement. It doesn't mean it's the polar opposite of walking with the Lord. And I need you to hear that because you hear that a lot in the, in the world today and in the church today, right? Like, oh, if you're down, if you have any type of anxiety issues, well, obviously you don't have enough faith. Or obviously you have this or you have that and you need to pray more and you need to understand God's promises more and all these things. And the fact is, you guys, is that our brains, every generation are less, uh, less, or they're further away from when Adam and Eve were created. Do you get what I'm saying? We're falling apart is what I'm getting at, right? Cancer's going up. Anxiety's going up. Mental illness is going up. All these things are happening. Why? Because our DNA is being broken down generation by generation by generation. That's what I believe, right? If you disagree with me, that's fine. I'm not a scientist. I have no idea. It's just something that I see, right? So what am I getting at? They're not, this, this quote I love because it's not, it's not saying it has anything to do with your spirituality. What it is saying is that if you let that rest and when you're under that type of stuff, it draws you away from the truth, right? And that's not always your fault, but the reality is, and what I love about what's being said there is like discouragement looks for and believes the worst and tends to almost forget about who God is. But do you know what's so cool, you guys? Here we are in church. You want to be encouraged? Come here and be encouraged. You want, to, you, want to, you want to snap out of the funk that you're in? Get yourself out of the bed and come and be part of us. And I don't know about you guys, but I've been in situations in my life and times in my life when I was severely discouraged, horrifically discouraged. And I'm so thankful that I had friends that came along and said, dude, you reek because you haven't literally left your house in four days. Get a shower, you're coming to church. You know? And I needed that because that was where I found the encouragement that I needed. And that's where I stopped looking for and believing the worst and then instead started seeing again. No, God, you've got this. God, you're, you're in the middle of all this. That song, dude, we don't even, you know that like the worship team, we don't like get, sit down and talk about this. So whenever she was singing that song, I was like, oh Lord, it's so cool. The truth is, you guys, discouragement is real. And it really happens. And yes, words may hurt us. But the fact is, is you guys, we can bring all of that. The words, the hurt, everything, the discouragement, everything that we're hearing. Even if you come to church and you got some nincompoop that says the thing that you didn't really need to hear because they're just saying it in the flesh. You guys ever been in the experience that in church? Yes. Have you ever been guilty of doing that in church? I have. I've said something that they were like, uh, and I'm like, I'm, I'm sorry. You know what I mean? 
Like this was the time I should have just shut my mouth and I didn't, right? We all, we've all been there. But even in those moments, you guys, you can take all of that to Abba. You can take all of that to God and he hears us. And you can trust that he's right there in the middle of it with you and that he's walking with you in it. It's, it's an encouragement to us and we're gonna watch and see what Nehemiah did to all this discouragement that was being poured out on them. Verse four says this. Hear, O our God. What's he do? He prays. Hear, O our God, for we are despised. Turn their reproach on their own heads and give them as plunder to a land of captivity. Do not cover their iniquity and do not let their sin be blotted out from before you. For they have, excuse me, for they have provoked you to anger before the builders. So we built the wall and the entire wall was joined together up to half of its height for the people had a mind to work. So Nehemiah, you guys, what did he do in response to all that? What did he do to all that discouragement? The same thing we should. He took it to God in prayer. He offers this heartfelt prayer. And what's his prayer? Lord, you know what these freaks are saying? Wreck them. That's what his prayer was. That's basically it. Wreck them. Take them out. Send them away to captivity. Do something. Just get them out of my face. I don't want them here. I would say this is an imprecatory prayer, wouldn't you? Like an imprecatory psalm. You guys know what that means? The imprecatory psalms were the ones where David's like, knock their teeth out. Just wipe them off the face of the earth, God. Right? Those are the imprecatory psalms. Whenever he was just going to God with the truth of where he was at in his emotions. And if you read those imprecatory psalms, the cool part is, is that's never where he ends, right? He always comes around to grace and mercy, like we all should. But the fact is, Nehemiah here was just pouring out his heart before the Lord. Nehemiah was asking God to bring a curse upon these guys. That's basically what he was doing. And we can and should bring all things to God. I need you guys to hear that. God is not up in heaven, thrown off by the fact that you've had a horrible day. God is not up in heaven saying, I am so holy, I cannot hear your complaining one more day. <laughs> That's not God. He's like, I want to talk to you. You in a bad headspace? That's okay. Let's talk. Tell me. Tell me what's up. Your coworker being a pain in your side? Tell me about it. You want me to kill him? I'm not going to do that. But I want to hear it, right? It's not a bad thing, you guys. I think so often we turn God into this, two things. Sometimes we make God into our friend and, he's, and we forget that he's our Lord, that he's the boss, that he's like, could smush us like a little ant, right? Like, but he never would because he loves us so much. And that's the other part that we forget is that he loves us, right? And so we can go to him and have a real conversation about everything. That's awesome. And I love that I serve a God like that. And I love that I serve a God that not only I can go talk to him about all that, but Jesus lived on this earth. You don't think Jesus didn't get away with the Lord and maybe pray some of his own imprecatory psalms? Lord, man, why, why these disciples? Why'd you give me these freaks? What the heck? I have no idea. I'm not saying he did. But you get my point? It's a real relationship. Are you guys following me? Okay. We can take our things to God even when we're frustrated. It's good and healthy to talk about our true feelings to God because he already knows them anyway. But also to remember, you guys, that God has shown you grace. He's shown you and me grace and mercy that we never deserved. And so I would say this. The times that I've gone and prayed some imprecatory prayers, 
God is so patient with me that he turns those prayers into prayers for patience. The prayers that, the, that God would bless them, that God would bring them to a place that they would come to know him too. Do you know what I'm saying? Like, I don't stay in that mode. Thank God. We see that no matter what was said to these people, no matter what Nehemiah and all the Israelites heard, they did not stop the work. They did not stop the work, you guys. That is the key. The name of this message tonight is Ready to Rumble. And we're going to see why. But this is part of it. Being ready to rumble in the church, in the spiritual context, means you will not stop being obedient and following God's way no matter what it looks like around you. You got to be ready to rumble. You might need to throw some bows of love, right? Like to be able to be like, hey, you know what? I don't care what you think about this. I'm doing it anyway. I have to be ready to rumble my wife and I do when we go back home and visit my family because I'm going to church on Wednesday. I don't care what you think about that, right? So it's not like, it, I'm not talking about like fist fighting and physical violence, even though we're going to read about that tonight. I'm talking about just loving people enough and loving your God enough that you're like, this is more important than whatever is going on around me. It's that important. And so, yeah, they didn't let others around them and what they were saying and doing dissuade them from doing what God had called them to do. Let's keep reading verse 7. It says this. Now it happened when Sambalot, Tobiah, do you guys notice that this list just keeps growing? They're like, hey, these, our, our insults aren't working. Let's add some more people. Sambalot, Tobiah, the Arabs, the Ammonites, and the Ashdodites. That's a dumb name. The Ashdodites heard that the walls of Jerusalem were being restored and the gaps were beginning to be closed, that they became very angry. And all of them, all of them conspired together to come and attack Jerusalem and create confusion. Nevertheless, we made our prayer to our God. And because of them, we set a watch against them day and night. So when the words were not doing the job that Sambalot and Tobiah had hoped for, the wall at this point, they're sitting there throwing out insults, just doing what they're doing, and they're like, oh, they're not hearing me, right? The words apparently aren't hurting as much as we were hoping for because they had built the wall all the way around to half its height. So not anything that was going to necessarily stop people completely from getting in, right? It would be like you just like, what up, like jumping over four feet or whatever, just hopping up and getting over it, but definitely something that was going to hinder them, so they're making progress. And it's obvious here that these hurtful words were not doing much, and so since God was still their focus and their aim was still to complete the work that God had given them, they went a step further. They gathered up more people to be against God's work, and they planned an attack. And I want you guys to notice something. Notice that the people of Israel didn't see and hear what was coming and just ignore it. Did you notice that? Notice that it says there in verse 9, it says they, were, they set a watch against them day and night. They saw the reality that these people had no good intention towards them. Now, what else do we notice? They didn't lash out and attack, did they? Nehemiah wasn't like, you know what? We're going to get the jump on them and just go knock them out first. No, he didn't. He was like, that's not what God told us to do. God told us to build a wall, and that's what we're doing. But they knew that the attack was possible to come, and so they didn't just be, say like, it's all good. It's all good. I mean, you just keep talking, and it's fine. We're not going to assume that anything bad's going to happen. No, they set a guard 
to watch him. You guys, I need you to hear this. In the church today, we preach love, and that's good, right? But to love everyone with like blinders on is not biblical. The Bible makes it clear that we're to be gentle as doves, but wise as what? Serpents, right? We're to be wise, man. We're to, what's a serpent? A serpent realizes when they're going about ready to be stepped on. A serpent realizes and gets out of the way. A serpent isn't a dumb animal. They can't be. They're on the ground, right? Like they've got to be uh, wise about where they're at and how they're working and what's happening and when they strike and what, right? Like they've got a lot going against them. And so they have to be wise. Guys, that's the same thing God calls the church to be, Christians to be. We're not to be, you know, like lambs to the slaughter. That's not the heart here. And yet at the same time, and this is the hard part for us, I think, for all of us, me included, is this. We're to turn the other cheek. We're to walk in grace and mercy. We're to do all these things. And that's a hard, like, dichotomy, isn't it, for some of us? Listen, I'm from Philadelphia. You don't wait for somebody to punch you. You punch them first. Right? Go to any sports arena in Philadelphia. You will get sucked if you think that it's okay to wear another jersey in there. Do you know what I'm getting at? So it's like, that's the way I grew up. And so that's kind of like my vibe and God's been growing me and growing me and growing me. But the reality is, is that I also went to a place in my walk with him where I got so far gone that I was being taken advantage of and other people, other, you know, mature believers were like, no, that's not right. That's not being wise. You're flat broke because you gave all your money away. Yes, I did. Right? That's not wise. What were they doing in the money? I have no idea. They said they needed it. That's not, that's, I'm ashamed of that now, but that's what I did, right? So it's like, there's wisdom. There's wisdom that we need to walk in. So what was Nehemiah saying? They set this guard. He's like, don't think it. You're going to come up in our house and mess it up. Our Papa God is with us. But our Papa God is with us, but, and, he, and we're asking him to keep us safe. And you're messing with a power that you can't even fathom. But God wants to use us. And so he also sets the guard. Do you get it? You guys, when God brings progress and victory into a believer's life, I got to say this, when you are walking in obedience to the Lord, rarely, and I, I almost said absolutely this is true, but I can't say that for sure. So I'll say rarely will there be a calming down of the efforts against you to stop. Does that make sense? What happens, honestly, is the more you trust and follow God, the more the opposition ramps up. That's, that's 99.999% of the time. And the only reason I'm not saying 100% of the time is because I cannot say that with absolute certainty. There's nothing biblically that tells me that. But isn't that the reality? The more you press into God, the more even your friends, even the people, your family, those people around you that you're like, dude, what, why would you be against me on this? They come out against you on things. Spiritually, things start to ramp up around you. The hot water heater that was fine bursts. Things around you are just breaking, and I don't want to give the enemy too much credit. Sometimes it's because you just let it rust out, and that's your own fault. <laughs> but there's also other times when you're like, this is brand new. What's wrong with this thing? And it's like, well, dude, the more you follow the Lord, the more stuff's going to come up. That's just truth. Read the book of Job if you don't believe it, right? Like Job was like, man, I'm following you, Lord. Everything's good, Lord. And then Satan's like, I'm going to wreck your world, right? Guys, that's the way it goes. This is what happens. So can we 
stop for a second, you guys, and look at our church for a second, because I, I need us to hear this. Look at what God's been doing, and this is not to toot a horn. I'm just, stop for a second. For those of you that maybe haven't been here for a while, I'll just tell you, in a year, God has done mighty, amazing things in this church. He has. Last year at this time, all of the board got away and we were praying in our couple big prayers. One of the big ones was like, Lord, we want to be on mission. We want to be able to go do missions work. We want to have connections all around the world doing stuff. But Lord, and this was my big prayer, I don't want to be in charge of it. That was it. You guys, we've been able to come alongside ministries in Africa, in the Dominican Republic, in Italy, in Pakistan. And these are all things that God literally dropped in our lap. God is moving. We're just trying to be obedient to walk it out. We get the chance to be used obediently and to go and, and, and minister to these, with these people and to these people in a way that is amazing and a blessing. We're seeing opportunities here locally to see God just boom and grow, not just through our church, through other churches too. And there's this unification thing happening within the God-fearing, Bible-believing churches that I'm loving and that is necessary, especially here in New England. And you guys, it's only because God's seeing fit to do something through us, right? It's not because we have amazing coffee. It's not because we have this wonderful smoke machines and amazing light show during worship, is it? I know if we got a smoke machine, everybody would leave. <laughs> I'd leave too. I'd be like, I can't breathe. You guys, you know what it is? It's just a bunch of willing knuckleheads that are ready to walk with God and try to walk it out. And I'm thankful for that. And I'm the chief knucklehead. I have no idea what we're doing here, but I know that God's doing something and that's awesome. And I just want to be there and be obedient in it. Amen. But can I say this? The more that God continues to move in our church, the more that our church grows, the more things that God drops in our lap that we're able to participate in, do you understand that the target on our back is getting bigger and bigger and bigger? Because Satan is more and more angry and unhappy about it. And the more I see Satan get angry about things, the more I know we're not right where God wants us to be. You guys, it wasn't that many Wednesdays ago, and it's little silly things like this that we can either choose to really like just be wrecked by, or we can just choose to see God in it and let him do his work. A few weeks ago, we had zero sound at 5 p.m. on a Wednesday night. Zero sound. Because the board got backed up, or no, the board got wiped accidentally and not backed up. And so we had nothing. And so I was like, okay. Right? And so we're here and we're doing these things. This is just one little example. There's a thousand more. Most of them have to do with our sound system, though, but, <laughs> and our video. But the reality is, you guys, is that it was the coolest thing because you know what happens whenever we're in the midst of trials and tribulations? God speaks. God speaks. Just like he was working in these people in Nehemiah, you guys, God, I'm in there in the office. You know, Maya comes back and he's like, oh man, I screwed up. This whole thing blew up. And I'm just like, okay. And I'm like, well, can you at least get this mic working? I don't know, man. And so he's out there working, and I'm in there praying, and I'm like, oh, God, come on. Like, what the heck? Why? Why now? Come on, Lord, please. And you know what God said very clearly to me? I've been doing this church thing for a lot longer than Amplification's been around. And I was like, that's true. And then you know what else he said to me? I'm like, yeah, but Lord, what, I mean, we've we got a piano player. We don't have a guitar player. We can't. And he's like, you know what else? I've been doing this worship thing, you know, without any instruments for a lot longer than you've had instruments. And I was like, you're right. And so I came out to Maya and I'm like, listen, 
if this doesn't get recorded and we have to be embarrassed and put something online and say, I'm so sorry, we're not gonna be able to put this online tonight for those that watch online. If that's the way it went and we just sang a cappella, do you know what? God would have been honored. God would have used it, amen? And so I feel like so often, you guys, when we know that we've got a big target on our back, it gives us, instead of being discouraged by things, it's an opportunity to say, God, you've got to fix this. And it doesn't mean it's going to be fixed the way we expect it to be fixed. And that's even the coolest part is because then we get to see God fix it in a way that shows us that our way is not the absolute way. His way is. And I love it, you guys. And we can rest in it. But at the same time, knowing how unhappy Satan is, we as a church right here, right now, you guys, we need to be alert and aware. And it's not just this church. There's plenty of churches that God's moving in. But I'm just, it's about us tonight. That's who I'm talking about, right? This is the purview that God's given me as a pastor. And so Satan isn't going to give up and just be like, okay, you guys, I keep attacking your sound system and it's not working. You're not getting mad at me enough. That's okay. I'm going to let you go. I'm going to go take a vacation. No. He's going to hit it harder on different ways. He's going to cause more problems, more difficulties, and not just in this body as a whole, you guys, in our lives individually. And we're seeing that too. And the fact is, you guys, in all that, we don't lash out and strike first, but here's what we do need to do, church. We need to get on our knees daily and pray. We need to seek God. And that's what we see Nehemiah doing consistently. You want to talk about good leadership? Seek the Lord and let him lead you as you're leading your family, as you're leading at your workplace, as you're leading in your schools. Do that. Seek the Lord and let him lead you. You will become a leader. And like we've talked about before in the first week of Nehemiah, every one of us here is a leader. In some fashion, you are a leader. You are leading someone somewhere. Where are you leading them? Well, that's up to you. I can tell you this, I can't lead anyone to God on my own. I need God to use my life to do that. And so I need to go to him every day, amen? So, verse 10 says this. Then Judah said, the strength, obviously, I need you guys to stop for a second. Judah, not Judah himself, Judah's been long dead, the person Judah, right? The son Judah. This is the tribe of Judah. Then Judah said, the strength of the laborers is failing and there is so much rubbish that we are not able to build the wall. And our adversaries said, they heard the adversaries saying this, they will neither know nor see anything till we come into their midst and kill them and cause the work to cease. And so it was when the Jews who dwelt near them came that they told us 10 times from whatever place you turn, they will be upon us. Therefore, I positioned men behind the lower parts of the wall and the openings, and I set the people according to their families with their swords, their spears, and their bows. And I looked and arose and said to the nobles, to the leaders, and to the rest of the people, do not be afraid of them. Remember the Lord, great and awesome, and fight for your brethren, your sons, your daughters, your wives, and your houses. So we see here that not only now are these people 
causing them problems, but the work itself was becoming more difficult. They had built the wall halfway up, but now as they continued on, there were these piles of rubble that kind of needed to be moved so that maybe, I'm just guessing here, they could build scaffolding to build up higher or do things like that, right? Like they could move the rubble enough to get the wall built up from the foundation, but they needed to get it completely removed in order to do that. What does that mean? When they're removing all that rubble, you know what that means? It means opportunity for them to use it to like quickly build something or to get over a certain area that maybe the rubble was maybe the wall wasn't real as tall as it should have been or whatever. You get my point? Like this was an opportunity for the enemy to come in. You guys, can I say this? The halfway point in anything that we're called to do is always the most dangerous spot. You ever think about that? When you start school, when you were in high school and you started your freshman year of high school, even if you thought it was going to stink, didn't you still think like, well, yeah, this is something new. It's something fresh. I'm going to do my best. And some of you guys, man, half of the first semester, that was me, halfway through the first semester, I'm like, this stinks. I don't want to do this anymore, right? Now, what about when I was halfway through my sophomore year of high school? I really didn't want to do this anymore. And by my senior year, I was just like, just let me get the grade and leave, right? What about your work? High school at least is only four years, y'all. Then we go to work for decades, and we're like eight years in, and we're like, what am I doing? <laughs> ah, right? Why can't I just go back to high school? That was easier. You guys, halfway th- the halfway point in anything is always the most dangerous. What about here at the church, you guys? When you're like, yeah, man, I'm on fire. God's given me a vision to be part of this ministry, to go up into the kids' ministry and to just help these kids out. And then you do that for like a month, two months, three months, four months, five months, and then you're like, ay, 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 can I take a break? I'm done with this. Here's the truth. You don't know if you have one week left and what God might have for you to pour into one more kid before you go, but that's not the way we think. And I'm not trying to put a guilt trip on anybody. I need you to hear that because I also need you guys to hear this. Now that I'm, what, two, almost two years into to being the pastor of this church, there's times when I'm like, whoa, this is hard, right? But I always kind of keep the perspective. I try my best to keep the perspective that guess what? Lord willing, I've got years and years left, but I might not. And I am, I live, I preach, I teach for the days like two Sundays ago when someone came to the Lord. I preach and teach for that time when someone comes up and they're like, man, you don't even know what God just did today in my life through that message. Praise God for that. What would I miss out on if I just gave up and went and got a different job? I'm not doing that, by the way. But you get my point? You get my point, you guys? Halfway through is always the hardest part. It's the most dangerous spot. When people have been pouring out and pouring out, they need reviving. And I want you guys to notice who this is coming from. This is coming from the leaders of the tribe of Judah. This was the biggest strongest tribe in all of the tribes. This would, these guys were the workhorses. They were the ones in the book of Joshua that were like, yeah, and they just took them out, right? Like they were big, they were brawny. They were like, they were the ones, man. And so here they are getting worn out by what? Not just the constant threats of attacks from the outside, which was there and definitely wearing, but also just from the rubble that was in the way, from the junk, from the day-to-day, the politics, the stuff, the junk that was just, just hindering the way. And I need you guys to hear this. This had to be a demoralizing blow to the entire people that had come back. Here is the tribe that every other tribe looked to. They all looked to Judah. Think about this. Jesus was from what tribe? Judah. 
King David was from what tribe? Judah. Judah was the man. His tribe, they were the ones, man. So to hear this from those leaders, for all the other tribes that are like, man, we got like 10 people in our tribe now <laughs> that have returned. Like, what are, you, what are you doing, man? You guys are the biggest, you're the baddest. What, if you're demoralized, then what are you expecting us to have and feel? I need you guys to hear something on this. There's nothing wrong with being tired out. There's nothing wrong with that. There is nothing wrong from taking a break. You need to hear that. But I think what we're reading here is this, that instead of the leaders of Judah going to Nehemiah in private, they were blabbing about how tired they were to everyone they could. It was a well-known fact to everyone just how tired the tribe of Judah was. And that's not helpful, is it? It's not helpful. If you are up in the children's ministry and you've been there for 17 years and everyone knows how tired you are, quit, stop, and shut your mouth. I mean it, right? Like that's not helping anybody. You don't want to go to children's ministry. I went in with no gray hairs and here I am with all these gray hairs. I don't have a clue what happened to me. My life just disappeared on me. Shut your mouth, man. Just come down and be fed, be filled up right? Like you get my point, you guys? Listen, I'm here and I've had plenty. We have a great leadership team and I've had plenty of leaders that have come to me and said, hey man, like I just, I need a break. And, and I freely admit that when I first took the church over, that was a terrifying thing for me to hear and I probably didn't handle it very well, right? I was like, just do it anyway. Because <laughs> I didn't have the, I was like, I don't know what I'm going to do now that you're leaving. But do you know what God's shown me through time? It is fine and he's got it. And I don't want anyone in our church to be like, I can't do this anymore. Please come to me. Please, if you're, if you're just helping out in an area, go to the leader of that area and be like, I, I need a break. Six months, whatever that looks like, I just, I need a break. That's fine. It gets us back to where we started. Do you guys remember what we talked about right in the very beginning? How did the wall get built? Everybody, 100% of the people getting involved and doing their part. You guys, it's not helpful. It shows a complete lack of awareness if you are being a critic and demoralizing everybody instead of being a leader, encouraging and invigorating people and being like, you know what? It's awesome to serve here and it's great to do this. And you know what's even cooler? If you need a break, take a break. It's cool. They don't, they're not going to be mean about it. They're not going to care. They're not going to judge you. It's not a big deal. Take a break. Why? So that you can be refreshed and come back and do it again. That's what I'm doing right now. That's a leader. A critic is like, it sucks up here. I can't believe it. Oh, why did I ever bother? Do you know what you're doing to the rest of the church? I'm not going up there. No freaking way am I going to even think about trying to do that. Do you hear the difference? How often do we hear that stuff in church? It happens a lot. When we were back home in Idaho, our one sister-in-law was talking about the fact that she's like, I did my time in ministry. And I was like, you did your time? I was like, you were in jail? Like, where's your tattoos, man? <laughs> you know, I'm like, what? That, that, that's a critic, right? Just being honest. That's not the heart that we want to come at it with. The fact is, you guys, we have a lot of people that work very, very hard to get events ready here, to make the toilets, you know, clean and make the toilet paper and, and everything be replaced. We have people that like literally go and purchase all the stuff that keeps showing up. We have people that are doing all these things. We have men and women that grow in their walks and Bible studies. Why? Because other men and other women are doing their best to try to prepare and lead to do all sorts of things. And they lead very well. 
but it doesn't mean they're superhuman. And it doesn't mean that any of us here are superhuman. I'm not superhuman. None of us are. We all need rest. We all get tired. But the fact is, you guys, my heart for us as a church is the same thing Nehemiah had, 100% service in our body. 100% of the people that come and attend this church and call this church home to serve in some way, whatever that is. And like I said before, if you just started coming, you're within six months of coming, rest. We don't want you to jump right in. Take a break, relax, get to know people, rest. You need rest. We want you to be rested and recharged, but always with the mindset that you're seeking God the whole time and saying, God, where here in this church am I supposed to be serving? Why? Because the goal for every believer is service unto God, amen? And they need us to hear this. If we truly had 100% of our church serving, do you realize that I don't really think any one person would ever get burned out? We have a lot of people in our church for not that many volunteer positions. Just saying. There's no judgment here. I need you to hear that. But if you have been here for a long, long time, I just got to say one thing to you. Many hands make light work. So if you're not helping out, get on it. What was Nehemiah's response to this kind of like slight, this other internal discouragement? He showed great leadership, didn't he? He's like, you know what? You're telling me that they're saying they're going to come in and kill us as we do this stuff. You're telling me you're tired. You're telling me all these things. I get it. I'm going to position men behind the lower parts of the wall and the openings. What? These most vulnerable places. He's telling the enemies, if you want to fight, we're ready to fight. But what else is he doing in the process? Did you ever think about this? If you're holding a sword and doing all that, and you were the one that was wicked tired, so that another guy who was less tired can get up there and work, you get to take a break. And yet at the same time, you're still working. Do you get it? And so there's a lot of that too that I see in the church where people are like, I need a rest, I need a rest. But then it's like, man, you know what you could do? You could go greet. Or you could go do something else that's a lot less time consuming and still not step back. I'm not forcing anyone to do that. I'm saying we've had people that are like, you know what, I can't do kids ministry for a little while, but I'll definitely greet. That's awesome. You're still serving. Do you get my point? And that's what he's doing here. He's saying, look, we're still gonna serve. We're still gonna be a part of this. We still need to be ready to rumble. And so when he does this, he encourages and reinvigorates all the people. He tells them, like, don't be afraid of these guys. Don't be afraid. The worst that they can do is come in and fight us. But they don't know what we know, and that is this, that our God is much bigger than they are. And our God is going to fight the fight. Now, does that mean that they're physically not going to have to engage in an altercation? No, it doesn't mean that. It doesn't mean that. It might not mean that. They may have to actually physically have a confrontation. But they can trust that God's got that, that God knows what's up. You guys think about that whenever you have a conversation with somebody? Like, listen, as a pastor, I get to get in these conversations sometimes that get a little heated because people don't like what I have to say. And I get the opportunity to pray and say, God, I don't want to be in an altercation. It's really not my, well, I can't say that. I actually like fighting. But, but the truth is, is I don't want to like fighting, if that makes sense, because that's my human nature. That's my skin. That's my flesh. And so I ask God, God, would you use me and would you put me in a position where maybe I would speak some truth in love? And most of the time, that stuff turns out good because God uses it, right? I wish I could say that 100% of the time, but there are times whenever I just fall flat on my face and I have to go ask for forgiveness. 
But the truth is, you guys get it? We are all fighting a battle that God is fighting through us. That doesn't mean we don't have any skin in the game, but it does mean that he is the one that's got it. It's his strength that we're walking in. Amen? So, what's he say? He's like, man, if there's going to be a fight, remember what you're fighting for. For your brothers and your sisters. For your family. You guys, it's the same here in GBC. We are in a battle all around us. That's a fact. Here in New England, we're really in a battle. We're in a battle against intellectualism. We're in a battle against all of the stuff that's being taught in schools. We're in a battle against a lot of different things. But the reality is, and it's the same thing I'm going to keep preaching over and over again, we are not in a battle against flesh and blood. It is not the person that's standing in front of you that you're fighting. It's the principalities and the powers. It's the spiritual power behind them that they're standing in. And guess what? Our dad is way bigger than theirs. But the fact is, how do we fight? We fight through prayer. We fight through sharpening one another as we come together in church. We fight through loving each other and everyone else in our sphere of influence like Christ loves them. Guys, we fight through being faithful to show up. Show up. Be part of this body of believers. Go to work on time. Be a faithful employee. Show up. If your friend needs help, be a friend and show up. That's how we fight. You guys, we fight by being faithful. And I need to say this. Armies do not fight alone. They fight together. And even as I said that, I can imagine I'm going to do a little Paul action on you and bring up a question I think you might have. You might be like, yeah, well, what about SEAL teams? They're SEAL teams, not SEAL. Singular. They're a team. They go as a team. They fight as a team. There is no fighting by yourself. You die by yourself. You live and thrive and survive and get sharpened and be encouraged and be built up and ready and, and build up those spiritual muscles together in a church body. That's what gets you there. He's also being wise as a serpent here, like we already talked about. He continues to do God's work, but he's like, you know what? This is getting hairier. People are getting more and more violent. This is, this is progressing towards something that could end up really requiring us to fight right now. And so he says, we're ready to work on the wall. We're going to keep doing that, but we're also ready to rumble. And I, guys, I think this is how we should all be with our lives. Listen, we are alert and ready with the sword, God's word. We've got it. How do you do that? You read it. You get to know it. You understand how to wield it. When we were in the military, you guys, we had to shoot the guns. Why did we have to shoot the guns every year? Why did we have to go qualify? Why did, we, why did they need to know that we could actually hit the target? Because when we were in a real war situation, we needed, they needed to know that we could lock and load and fire the gun and put it on target and kill somebody. Because if that was the time that you're like, I need you, God, I, what's in here? Ah! That's not the time. It's too late. Is God still going to be faithful to you? Heck yeah. Were you dumb for not getting in it before? Yep. Right? You're like, that's harsh. Yeah, well, it's true. You guys, we get ready. Man, we're alert. We've got our sword in hand. We're in it every day. We're prayed and filled up, man. We're seeking his face. We're like, God, what do you got for me today? Lord, what relationship, what thing is going to happen today that I need you to speak into my heart and to tell me something? Because I have no idea, Lord, what I'm walking into. I have no idea. But I got to say this. Those are the things that we should be doing but we should also not be cloistering away and doing just that, right? We're not monks. We're not like, okay, I'm just gonna, just leave me alone. Don't talk to me. No, 
God didn't call us to that. We're called to be in the world, but not of it. We're called to be doing the work that God has for us to do, but also ready to rock and roll whenever the enemy attacks. And even though, you guys, do you notice what it said? They, they had this big plan and all these things were going to happen, but whenever they saw that the Jews were like ready for them, in spite of the fact that they were going to come in and kill them, they looked like a bunch of foolish blow, blowhards and it didn't, it didn't materialize. They didn't do anything about it. But that didn't minimize the threat. Verse 19, let's finish this up. Then I said to the nobles, the rulers, and the rest of the people, the work is great and extensive, and we are separated far from one another on the wall. Wherever you hear the sound of the trumpet, rally to us there. Our God will fight for us. So we labored in the work, and half of the men held the spears from daybreak until the stars appeared. And at the same time, I also said to the people, let each man and his servants stay at night in Jerusalem that they may be our guard by night and a working party by day. So neither I my brethren, my servants, nor the men of the guard who followed me took off their clothes, except that everyone took them off for washing. Well, thanks for pointing that out, that you actually didn't stink real bad. Good for you, Nehemiah. So Nehemiah set up this system to protect and defend what God was doing. He knew that there was more extensive work that needed to be done, and that the more extensive that the work became, the more important community and communication was becoming. You guys, it's a terrifying thing to see God moving in a person's life, giving them a purpose and a desire to serve, and then seeing them get self-confident and step away from the body that they're serving. It's not a good place, right? We see it far too often, don't we? Ministries implode because the leaders isolated themselves and fell into sin. People are beginning to see fruit in the labor that God's given them to do, and so then they go away and they start chasing after the world or they get a little big in the head and think that they're something special and eventually the work falls apart altogether. Pastors, you start off seeking God and trusting him to accomplish something and then isolating themselves and not being honest with anybody, anybody in, with their staff, with anybody else in the church and then end up falling into sexual sin or whatever sin, embezzlement, whatever. And, and, and you guys, do you understand that every time these things happen, sin never just hurts one person? hurts a lot of people. And, the, and the, the more leadership God gives you, the more people are hurt underneath. Why does all these things happen? Because they didn't stay in community and communication. You guys, God help us. We need God and we need each other. And that's exactly the design that God's laid out for a healthy Christian to grow and for a healthy church to grow. Spending time with him through prayer and time in his word. Spending time with your church family in this building and out of the building. This building is not the church. Your church family is the people. The church is the people. We're gonna keep saying that. Your church is the people. You Listen, if you're online and you're watching, and I know we definitely have some like true shut-ins that really can't make it out, but you know what's really cool? We still, Grace and I go and we meet with them, and I would encourage you guys, get to know who our shut-ins are and go hang out with them and have dinner. They're awesome. Bob and Bonnie and so many people that, I mean, thankfully not tons, but people that legitimately can't get out. And you know what? If they could, I know they'd be here. But the fact is, you guys, is that for those of us that are capable, we need to be here. We need to be here. I'm not saying you need to be here at every service and for every event and everything. I'm saying you need to be in communication and in community. Being real with God and with each other. 
If you guys, if you're here in this church and you keep walking around and telling everybody that you're fine and you're good and everything's going great, I'm hoping at some point, I pray that someone in our church would love you enough to just call you out on that garbage, like throw a flag on the play and be like, nah, it's not true. Nobody's that perfect. Nobody's got it that figured out, right? You guys, we all got garbage. And I promise you, I never want to lose open and honest communication. I don't. I want to be raw with the men in the church that I'm really raw with. The people on the board, man, they know my junk. And I like it that way because it keeps me honest and they can call me out on that garbage. And I'm pretty raw from up here. There are other pastors that tell me that I'm too raw, that I share too much. I'm okay with that because you know what? I'm human and I screw things up. Don't you? And if you want to judge me for that, well, go ahead. But now you're sinning. How do you like that? Right? You guys, I don't want to shy away from growing. And I think when you stop communicating, you stop being in community, real community. I'm not talking about just showing up on a Sunday. I'm talking about being known and knowing people. If you do that, I promise you, God will grow you. Nehemiah pushed these people to achieve the goal that God had for them, even to the point, you guys, of saying, don't get out of your clothes until you reek, then go wash your clothes, right? Like, stay in your clothes, be ready. You guys, the truth is we're human. We need rest, we need food, we need each other. And the enemy wants nothing more than to bring confusion, despair, tiredness, discouragement, laziness, and discontent. That's what he wants to bring. And he does a pretty darn good job of it sometimes, doesn't he? Christian, we're on a mission from God to go out into the world and tell people about Jesus and live a life that shines the light of Christ to everybody around you into this dark world. And the fact is, God is our strength. And he saw fit. If you're here today and you call GBC home, if you listen to this later and you call GBC home, listen, he saw fit to put you here for a reason. And that is to be in community and to be known, and to be real with us. So let's not grow weary in the work that God has for us. We are literally in the middle of the ride. The ride's not over, but I don't know when it's over, and I want to go out with nothing left in the tank. Flip with me real quick. We're going to look at two more little verses here just to end it up. James chapter 1. As I was studying this, these verses just kind of kept rolling around in my brain, and I just I want to come stop here, these two little short passages just to be an encouragement, you guys. James chapter one, verse two says this. My brethren, count it all joy when you fall into various trials. God bless you. Knowing that the testing of your faith produces patience, but let patience have its perfect work that you may be perfect and complete, lacking nothing. You guys, God wants to do a work through you and he does it even through the attacks of Satan. God works all things together for good. Amen. Flip over with me to 2 Corinthians, just a few books back to your left. 2 Corinthians chapter 4 is where we're stopping for tonight, I promise. 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 16 says this. Listen to this. Therefore, we do not lose heart. Even though our outward man is perishing, yet the inward man is being renewed day by day. For our light affliction which is but for a moment, is working for us a far more exceeding and eternal weight of glory. While we do not look at the things which are seen, but at the things which are not seen. For the things which are seen are temporary. That rubble that's standing in your way. That coworker that annoys the living snot out of you. They're temporary. 
but the things which are not seen are eternal. That's God in eternal time waiting for us. And you guys, we're in it right now. Do you know that? If you've accepted Christ, your eternal life started the day you accepted Christ. You understand that? We just got to walk out this muck and mire until we get out of that. Let's pray. God, I thank you for your word. And I, I do praise you, God, for just this chapter and what an encouragement it is to see this guy, Nehemiah, Lord, just being used by you in a mighty way, Lord, in some ways completely out of his comfort zone, Father, but yet in other ways, Lord, in, in kind of right where you had him to be. Leading, Father, by him just seeking your face. Father, I pray for our church right now. I'm asking, God, for our body of believers. Lord, in whatever capacity we lead, God, would you help us to, to know that leadership starts with following you. Lord, that we cannot lead in our own strength and in our own power. Lord, we need you. God, we need you to lead and direct us, God, so that we then can step out into the, the paths and the conversations and the stuff, Lord, that you have for us to walk out. And God, as we do that, Lord, I pray, Father, for hearts of obedience, God. And as we do that, Lord, I do pray, would you put a hedge of protection around us, Lord, because I know the enemy wants nothing more than to tear us apart, to bring division, to cause issues. Lord, for people's lives to be wrecked in their own personal lives because they choose sin instead. Lord, they get overwhelmed by temptation. Father, they, they begin to believe the lie that being alone in your sin is better than being confessing in your sin and just being in, in community. God, they stop being real. Father, I pray that would not be true for us, God. Knit us closer together. Help us, Father, to never stop remembering what we're fighting for. Father, we're fighting this battle on our knees in prayer, in love, in mercy and grace. God, we're fighting all of these things, Father, for one another, Lord, but ultimately, God, to see your kingdom grow. Lord, help us. Guide us, direct us, Father, I pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks so much for listening to this message from Great Bay Calvary Church in Dover, New Hampshire. We're so glad you found us. If you want to learn more about our services or need prayer for something going on in your life, come connect with us at greatbaycalvary.com.